Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of SG Explained. My name is Elliot, and joining me today, as always, the one, the only, the magnificent, Rovin. <laughs> hello, Elliot. <laughs> the one and only as well. The one and only. And to be very fair, Rovin, you're the only Rovin I know. Well, you're not the only Elliot Tan I know. Fun fact, in my phone, at some point, I swapped you with the other Elliot. So there were times where I was texting the other Elliot about, like, YouTube stuff, and he was like, why are you texting me this? So, Wrong, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you're one and only in my eyes, Elliot. Just not in my phone's eyes, I guess. Thank you, thank you. That's comforting to know. How have you been so far, Rovit? Good, good. We spoke at an event recently on cancel culture, which was very exciting. As you explained, was represented. We were talking about the work that we were doing and, you know, we got published in the news. So that's very cool. Uh, and Very we nice. have an upcoming collaboration with a brand coming up. So actually, as you explained, trying to stay sustainable, trying to keep it, things above water. <laughs> and so this upcoming partnership could be pretty cool. You'll, you'll hear more in one of our future episodes. I'm looking forward to that. Last week, we talked about Nasi Lemak, right? So one of our local dishes. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a lighter episode today as well, but revisiting an old show. We went to Katong. Today, we are going to Yishun. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, when you brought up the idea of doing this episode, I was a bit perplexed because I didn't think Yishun had much to it. But we've heard it in the news. We've heard some of the stranger things that have happened there. I was curious on whether we could actually fill up a whole episode. But Elliot, you've done the research. You've gone and done the work. <laughs> and apparently there is. There is a good amount of interesting facts about this neighborhood. Oh, yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. You know, everyone remembers that the Netflix promo where they had, like, I think Netflix Singapore, they did an ad promo where it was like, they did a Stranger Things type of adaptation with Yishun. I think you guys can Google it and you'll find like like, like Yishun things or or something like that. It was, it was quite cool. We're not going to talk about just those elements of what makes Yishun strange, right? Yishun is one of Singapore's most prolific and oldest estates, actually. And you know, while it gets a bad reputation due to how often it appears in the news, for today's episode of SG Explain, I thought we'd revisit this notion. You also like, you know, we're very good at challenging biases and uh, recreating the narrative. Subverting the narrative. Oh yeah, oh yes, subverting, yes. <laughs> oh. Uh, and you know, trying to go against even my own biases against Yishun. When someone tells me they live in Yishun, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this man has seen some things. And I thought, why not? I'm gonna try to see what is the brighter side and, and even just the history of Yishun itself. The town is named after our good friend Lim Ni Sun, right, who was a prominent businessman in colonial Singapore. You know, Yishun, the planning area is made out of like nine subzones. So we're talking about these uh, Yishun Central, Northland, Yishun East, Yishun South, uh, Lower Salita Reservoir, Springleaf, uh, Ni Sun itself. So there is Yishun and Ni Sun, Katip, and Yishun West. So all these areas kind of like follow under this sort of like jurisdiction so to speak and yeah it was going to be fun for us to talk about the history about the news and hopefully the future of Yishun itself so let's jump right in strap yourselves let's go digging so we'll start with 
a classic as you explained trope we're gonna be going in the singapore time machine to the history of Ishun. (laughs) so Ishun was part of territories inhabited by the indigenous nomadic boat dwellers known as orang salita these are descendants of the orang laut a sea people who lived in boats and made a living as fishermen the original inhabitants of singapore on maps drawn at the time the area stretching from salita river which is also called Sungai Salita, to Sungai Sembawang was marked as Salita. So you just imagine, right, it's demarcated as the area between these two rivers. Ishun is the Hanyu pinyin of Nisun. Actually, when you say Nisun, it's sometimes you're basically saying Ishun. They've just anglicized the names and made it separate. And the reason for it, as you mentioned, is because of the famous man Lim Nisun. If you go and listen to the Merchants episode, you'll hear about Nisun and his son, Chongpang. That's how Chongpang is found off as well. It's interesting that Yishun uh, was called you know, Yishun because the Singapore government wanted to promote speaking Mandarin. Mm. So instead of having these dialect names for like you know, original estates, they said, okay, we're going to like make it simpler for everybody. We're going to call it Yishun. No more like dialect dialects around the wow, place. Wow, that's interesting. If you're too lazy to go to the Merchants episode, in which case, uh, shame on you. <laughs> Stop being lazy. Go check it out. <laughs> but if you're too lazy, well, Lil Nisun, just as a recap, was a prominent industrialist who made his fortune by establishing rubber and pineapple plantations in the area. The area around Salita River was a flourishing Gambier and Pepper stronghold. But these crops declined in popularity at the end of the 19th century when most of the planters shifted to Johor. So the growth of estates under Lim Nisun's ownership started when as a young man of 24, he bought land around the Salita River and leased freehold land from the government for cultivation. At the peak of his career, Lim owned 12 rubber plantations in Singapore and seven in Malaya. In Singapore, his rubber estates could be found in Jurong, Chochukang, Salita, Mandai, Sembawang, and Thompson. And so that really establishes his presence in that area, in the Salita River area, and makes it kind of his like dominion, right? So it's very natural that they would just name it after him. Oh yeah, he was the king, right? <laughs> he, 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 had, he had great titles. Uh, everyone kind of knew him. And also he was a very big proponent of the developing uh, the Nishun or the Yishun area as we know today. So uh, he was also known as like this caring landlord, right? Who took good care of the villagers working for him. The Nishun district developed into like an extended settlement as Chinese immigrants who were hired as laborers in the rubber plantations settled down the area, you know, forming villages and paying a, you know, like tax, like a token amount for the land they rented from him. A patronage. Ah, like a patronage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So landlord kind of like relation, but in a much more caring capacity, which I think is very nice. These included like Mandai, Tekong Village, uh, Nisun Village, Hap Chun Kek Village, Heng Le Pa Village, uh, Pa Sun Pa Village, and Chai Ke Village. For his contributions to the development of villages in the Nisun district, as well as pioneering efforts in the rubber industry, uh, at the point in time, the British colonial government renamed the Jia Chui Kang village into Nisun village in the 1930s, right? So that was that was like kind of like cementing. And we're talking about early developments of, of Yishun as a place itself, where this is very true for a lot of the other businessmen that we saw, uh, but it's just because they were heavy presences there that they somehow just got jurisdiction <laughs> yeah. as, as we were shifting into in, like the colonial times of the independence. It was, it was it's, it's pretty interesting. To supplement their livelihood, the villagers cultivated, you know, mostly vegetables and fruits and took up pig and poultry farming. They also ventured into like fishery production near Sungai Sempang, Sungai Kate, Bongsu, and Sungai Salita. Fishery production, along with improved farming techniques, 
uh, contributed to growth and rise in prosperity of the Nisun district. In fact, in 1979, pig farming was halted following the government's directive to restrict pig farms to Pongol and Lim Chu Kang. So it, it's like, I think we have, I mean, it's a lot of farmland for, for, for sure, uh, but you can kind of see how from an urban redevelopment sort of like standpoint as we're moving towards, let's say, the 1970s, it's a lot about trying to keep it clean. And we can see the shifts in growing it into more of a suburban estate so like mm-hmm. for, for people to kind of live inside. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really know besides the army camps there, what Yishun is used for these days, right? I'm sure there are still some farms and we know that Salita Reservoir is there. Besides that, are there still farms there? Yishun, because of the army camps, <laughs> doesn't really have good memories from it because it's always about, you know, having to like <laughs> book in and like... It's all the regimentation, right? Yeah. That's drilled into the head. To be very fair, like Yishun is now a place where a lot of residential activities are, are kind of like held. So uh, we did really put an effort into making it a place to live just straight up northern side Singapore estate right the populate amongst like Bishan and, and whatnot. Everything is for living. And when we talk about the future of Yishun later, kind of see how things have shaped up to enhance the lives of the many people who live in Yishun. It is a, one of the more populated estates mm-hmm. uh, that we have here in Singapore. While we know Yishun is the place with like, you know, the famous cat killings and a slew of serial murders, you can Google all those. If you just type Yishun murders, right? Like, I think the first three pages have like hit. Um, but I didn't want to look at the more gruesome side of the stories you know we'll save it for an episode maybe like a like a Halloween episode or something we've scheduled an upcoming ghost stories episode and maybe yeah, and we should just call it the gruesome murders <laughs> there's so much of that and you know the news covers it all the time but I don't want to talk about those stories and yet, it would be remiss not talking about how Yishun has consistently made headlines in our local news. So instead of the dark side of Yishun, why not visit the funny side? Right? Mm. So I found some headlines. Uh, some of them reported on Mothership, some of them in Straits Times. Uh, of some of the my favorite, my favorite headlines. The first quirky story is called Yishun Thug Life, and this involves two men who were playing with a stun gun outside of North Point. They were arrested in August 2016. And the story goes that because they were playing nonstop, right? These two kids, well, I call them kids. They could be... They were in like their 20s, right? Yeah, these guys are in their 20s. So basically kids in their mind. They basically have gotten a stun gun. And as boys who who have really nothing else better to do, they were playing with it nonstop. (laughs) I can imagine how they were doing this. And their actions were believed to have scared members of the public and someone requested police assistance. So I can imagine an Ishun Karen basically walking down and was like, hey, oh, right? yeah. <laughs> And it was reported that five police cars and 10 officers arrived at the scene to surround the two men. And you know what? This wasn't an isolated incident. In 2017, two suspects were later spotted behaving suspiciously at a car park and were believed to be attempting to steal from the car. The police approached the pair and the older man turned on the police officer using a stun gun. (laughs) And the Singapore police force made a Facebook post to confirm the situation that the two men had been arrested under the Arms and Explosives Act. I don't know what's happening in Asian. Why is there like a proliferation of stun guns? To me, question number one is... Wow, how do they get access to a stun gun? And number two, these are back-to-back incidents. So like you think think that... like. People would be very aware, like, hey, you know, stun guns, no go. Uh, especially because it was quite a public scene outside of North Point for the first case. But still, the second group 
they tried to attack the police officer with a stun gun. And, and that kind of rippled as, as like viral news for quite a fair bit in 2017. I guess when you're so far up north, you may feel like you can do whatever you want <laughs> because you're away from like the city center, right? <laughs> well, the next story is really interesting as well. And personally, as a literature buff, kind of uh, my favorite headline. It says here, uh, and reported by Mothership in August 2017, Yishun residents getting harassed for money through letters from Lord Voldemort. Yeah, the, you know, the guy with no nose from Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. What's he doing in our world? A Nissan GRC member of parliament, Lee Biwa, posted a letter from the Yishun South Neighborhood Police Center on her Facebook page. And in it, the police warns residents that some people have received letters signed off by one Lord Voldemort. And this was like demanding that they pay up a handsome amount in order to stop being harassed by Lord Voldemort himself. He had to find a new job after his plans were thwarted by Harry Potter. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they never actually found, like I did some digging, they ne- never actually found who Lord Voldemort was. Yeah, because he's, uh, he's a wizard. He, he's a- <laughs> I, love, I love how seriously you're thinking are this. Not, are we not respecting Lord Voldemort? <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, essentially, what happened was that um, if, you, if you Google the images, actually the letters look pretty stupid. Like someone just scribbled on a note. It's very, a very poorly done letter from Lord Voldemort. Not even on English parchment or anything. So uh, this, this was an isolated incident, but uh, reportedly over 50 families were sent this letter. People were like sharing like, hey, I, I received this in my letterbox as well, which to me, that's nuts. <laughs> Well, and that being the case, uh, we'll talk about another another story. And this one is really, really cool. Where hundreds of mystery bugs swarmed into a Yishun unit and samples are now catalogued in the Natural History Museum. This was in July 8th of 2021. So just last month. Just last month. This is a great story because basically what happened was this guy went home. He realized his house was being invaded and when I say invaded, I mean like swarms of bugs were all, all across his house. But he noticed that there was something strange about it. He had never seen uh, this kind of insect before. And of course, he had best controller. So uh, upon further inspection, it became into this whole natural studies and research sort of case. And it suddenly involved this Mr. Fu Mao Sheng, who is an entomologist and curator at the Li Kongqian Natural History Museum. Now, they've been studying it for, for quite a bit now, and uh, uh, supposedly they found a variant of a bug that resides in Singapore, but has never showed itself uh, within within um, any sort of like archival or catalog space. So... All of a sudden, ta-da, we got a new subspecies of, of an insect, not only in abundance, apparently, in this man's house. They couldn't understand why it was there, but, you know, uh, thankfully, we, we, we have some new claim to fame in the Lee Kong Chen Natural History Museum. Apparently, these are pygmy water boatmen. Yeah, you're right. It's super weird that they've like, been hiding <laughs> all this time and then one day they were like, swarm! They literally swarmed his house. It was not like a small, like, oh, a couple of bugs at the kitchen area. It was like his house had been attacked by them. They must have been waiting for this moment. Oh my gosh, Yishun, what's going on? <laughs> it's really like that Bible story, you know, like the plague of insects and then this guy's house just got it, you know? <laughs> Here's another story. So in July 7, 2021, so again last month, there was a story of people in Yishun Park waiting around the set of trees, waiting for durians to fall. And fun fact, apparently doing that is illegal because even if the durians fall to the ground, you're not allowed to collect them. 
according to trees.sg, Yishun is home to around 170 durian trees. Wow, we should have mentioned this in our durians episode. Yeah, I didn't know this until today. It's quite cool. And this is nearly a third of all the durian trees in Singapore. If you remember the durio singaporeensis. So apparently waiting to collect durians that fall from trees is an offense under the Parks and Trees Act. And then Minister for National Development explained in Parliament in 2019 that this was because the trees were located on state land which belong to the state, and therefore the durians belong to the state. I don't know what they're going to do with the durians, but I guess, you know, it doesn't belong to the people, the residents. It belongs to, to the state. People stood there for a long while, uh, reportedly. Uh, so I, I think a member of parliament walked by Yishun uh, Park and then saw a group, like a family, a safe distance, obviously, but multiple groups of families were kind of sitting around watching durians and waiting for them to fall on the ground, hoping to just like eat them. She walked away and said like, okay, you know what? We won't have anything to do with this. Uh, but also explaining that, yeah, this is uh, potentially illegal, that you can't eat durians that you drop in the national park. So I love the idea of people at Asian Park just sitting around like, yo... When is this doing going to drop? At least now we have something else to say about Yishun besides all the scary stories. It's, you know, one third of the durian trees in Singapore are in Yishun. No, and I think that's awesome, right? The fact that they actually hold our durian, uh, our Singapore durian, the species is right there. It's in the park? I, I never know that. Like, that to me, that's strange that it's right in Yishun Park. Let's do one more story, right? And this is a story of a half-balding elderly man. Uh, he got ripped off in a Yishun hair salon, which allegedly charged him $4,799 for a treatment package in 2019. While this was reported on Mothership, lots of receipts and shared stories were found where many elderly folk were targeted by this hair salon brand called Next Gen Studio in Chongtan. And it's quite sad, I guess, that, again, because you're far away from the city, you kind of have this localized kind of ecosystem up north. People feel like they can go there and do whatever they want, which on one hand is stun guns, on the other hand, is basically ripping off vulnerable elderly folks. $4,799, wow, that's like... That's just a lot. And it was funny. It's like, the guy was really half balding. So, like, 4799 is a tall order to go and, like, try to resurrect this man's hair. It's also taking advantage of someone's, like, you know, self-esteem issues, yeah. It was a really big scam, so to speak, because uh, according to this Mothership article, there was a lot of receipts shared online. So a lot of youngsters of these of these elderly folk were posting on Facebook and Instagram, like, hey, my, my grandma, my, my grandfather also, you know, got hit by this scam. Don't go to Next Gen Studio. Uh, I don't think it exists anymore. I, I think they've been shut down. I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> At this point in time, it was what a what a piece of sensational news. I don't think I will ever pay for like four thousand seven hundred ninety nine hair package. But you know, I, I might speak too soon, lah. Who knows? <laughs> one day, my one day I might actually need it. Okay, so we're gonna take a short break. But when we come back, we're gonna be talking about some of the, you know we talk about some of the crazier things that happen in Yishun. But we should also kind of give it its time of day to talk about the nice side, you know, the positive side of Yishun and celebrate those moments. So when we come back, we'll be diving right into those stories. Don't go anywhere.
We're glad you're listening to this episode and are part of the SG Explainers community. You're special because you're part of a group of people who are joining us to understand the Singaporean identity through a wide variety of topics. Elliot and I do this completely out of passion, but we do incur costs to use software, equipment, and not to mention the time spent. We're hoping that you may consider supporting the SG Explain effort in one of two ways. If you click on the podcast description of the podcast you're listening to, you'll see a link that says support this podcast with a link to anchor.fm slash sg dash explain slash support. A contribution as small as 99 cents when added up by all our community members can go a long way for us. The second way is that if you want more bonus content for your buck, we've launched an email newsletter. That's right, all the content that doesn't make it to the podcast, including our own perspectives, videos, and pictures, as well as links to more resources can be found in these email digests that provide compact information for your on-the-go reading. For $5 US a month, basically the cost of a bubble tea, through Substack, you can get a digest a week with great content. The internet has allowed you, the consumer, to directly express your support to creators like us without needing to depend on brand sponsors too much. We hope you can give whatever you feel comfortable with. Here at SG Explain, Elliot and I are committed to getting great guests, conducting thorough research, and bringing you quality explainers on all things Singaporean. Thank you for being part of our community. And we're back. Okay, so uh, I found a Straits Times article that actually shared some of the more positive stories for you, Shun, and I thought it would be worth talking about them. Some of them you might actually recognize, Rovic. The first one being, like, you know, this Asian primary school pupil. His name was Ashvin Gunasagaran. He was 12 years old at this point in time. And he rushed to help the victims of a car accident that occurred at the junction of Yishun Ring Road at Yishun Avenue 2. Uh, it earned Ashen, who lives in Yishun, a Public Spiritedness Award from the Singapore Civil Defence Force and nomination for the Straits Times Singaporean of the Year. Wow. I don't remember this story, but there was, I think it was on TikTok as well. It was pretty viral where uh, this kid literally rushes up to save people uh, as, you know, okay, so there is a little bit of like fire that's going on with this car crash and just like helps like move them as fast as he can. He's 12, dude. I don't think I have the nuts to do that, honestly. People with nuts, they live in Yishun. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, actually, so the, the gall and the grit of these people is like, you know, it has its good and bad side, as with any sort of like value. So, I, I thought that was pretty darn sweet, man. Like a 12 year old kid really like stepping up to the plate. What a showcase of what it means to be civic mindedness in, in, in Singapore. In that same spirit about Yishun being a place where it's unique and it stands by itself almost, uh, Yishun was also designated Singapore's first dementia-friendly town with about 2,000 people. These are regular citizens who live in Yishun who are trained to spot and help elderly people in the community who have age-related cognitive deficits. If you remember our aging episode, if you go back to that episode, actually we talked about this, right? So townships where basically you have dementia-friendly infrastructure, right? So meeting points where people with dementia know where to go. Uh, and in this case, it's it's really the people side, uh, this, what you call the hardware of uh, that society, right? Where people are trained to spot and help people. Information guides are distributed to around 58,000 households and businesses to really make sure that you shouldn't become dementia-friendly. And I think that's pretty cool. 
right? Like it's a whole town just kind of mobilizing itself to support its most vulnerable. Yeah, no, and I think that goes to show, you know, as we talk about like what makes it a residential area, like one of the oldest estates for sure, um, but also because what does what does Nishun have? What does Yishun have in general, right? You were asking that question earlier on today. Just because there's an army camp, I think it's trying to modernize itself or think of itself as just the suburbs. Imagine it. What what does the Singapore suburbs actually look like? Uh, and how is it community driven? Uh, there are some other stories in here which I think are, are really good as well, right? So like also something to be celebrated, uh, the first one-stop diabetes help center opened in block 839 Yishun Street 81 in November of 2016. Right, residents can use its self-help kiosk to do health checks, such as measuring their own blood pressure. And I think this is, is really nice. We talk about dementia and diabetes kind of back to back because of the fact that uh, we know that it's a it's an older state, it has aging population, like more more older residents than younger ones. It's not it's not it's no singkang, right? Let's put it that way. I think it's only a good thing. Just reimagining what the suburbs of Singapore should be like to cater to folks who have lived there for most of their lives. Another cool story is that Yishun was actually home to the pilot Love Cats program. So if you remember our SBCA episode, we talked about how it was actually a big push to allow HDB to allow pet owners to keep dogs in their home. And that same courtesy isn't extended to cats, right? Because uh, there's always a concern that cats move around, that they, they don't stay in the household and they can affect the neighbors. But Chongpang was actually home to the Love Cats program, which allowed owners to keep pet cats in HDB flats. And this was in October 2012. Uh, this allowed owners to register, sterilize, microchip their cats, and as long as they could restrict them from roaming outdoors. Now, the program itself is constantly being brought up and, and debated. Uh, it was extended a couple of times, but the ban on cats and, and HDB flats still remain. Uh, and it's a question of whether they can extend. But it was cool that Chongpang was basically the place where they piloted this. The main thing for me, it's, it's something which was community sort of like initiated. Like, do people really kind of like wanted this bad enough? Uh, and MPs kind of uh, talked about it quite a fair bit. Even our good friend, Minister Sham, <laughs> of course, who's, you know, the Nisun GRC uh, representative, one of the MPs there. Uh, he, he said, hey, no reason as to not you know, be able to consider this and hopefully find new life. Uh, I found an article about it. Uh, which we'll probably link in our newsletter in the future. And let's go to the next one, which is also another community-led project. The first community-led smoke-free zone was launched in Nisun South in January 2014, with designated smoking points set up a distance away from the nearest block of flats to prevent secondhand smoke from entering the lower floor units. To me, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal, actually. The fact that the community is rallied enough to say, like, hey, let's all be considerate to each other and have that sort of spot uh, for smokers, it's not saying like, hey, you know, don't smoke in, in our area, but it's like, we'll make spaces for each other just as long as we're not affecting those uh, in the wider community. One thing I'm learning just hearing all these positive stories is that every community is going to have a mix of stories. I remember even where I live, right, which is in the Chinatown cantonment area, there are tons of stories of both positive and negative things that are happening. And it's almost difficult to basically just say, oh, you know, Chinatown's a bad place or Chinatown's a scary place, just because you've heard a couple of, of bad stories. And actually, there was a newspaper article by the Straits Times that wrote about this. It was written actually by actually Fabian, who is from the Straits Times. And uh, Fabian actually was in Boy Scouts with me in SGI. So it's very cool to see this newspaper article by him. Uh, and they reported 
that the whole idea of why Yishun has this reputation is actually a made-up phenomena that is driven by media coverage and confirmation bias. Uh, they talked to assistant professor Liu Kai-kun from NTU's Wikimedia School of Communication and Information, and this assistant professor basically said that Yishun's reputation boils down to public imagination. By coincidence, one or two sensational things happen in the estate, draw widespread coverage, and some enterprising wags, as he calls it, seize upon it, and soon the idea that the place is jinxed enters almost mainstream thought. For example, Woodlands had a murder case on Chinese New Year, along with the water tank murder in 2013, but you know people don't think of Woodlands as this like dysfunctional place. I guess people think of Woodlands as basically pseudo-Malaysia. <laughs> so it already has a reputation. <laughs> Mr. Lewis Ng, an MP for Nisun GRC, emphasized the role of media attention right, because of the cat killings that we talked about. Most people did not know about it when it was reported, but actually cat killings have been going on since 2012. So the media actually put a spotlight on it because of the press conference that happened in 2015, and Yishun became synonymous with the phrase cat killers. There are actually cat abuse happening in other neighborhoods like Tampanese, Angmokyo, and Red Hill, but the publicity does not reach the same level. And, you know, if you think about the Chungpang pilot again, Project Love Cats, uh, that's a positive example of, of the Yishun area basically showing love and care for cats, right? And piloting how they can integrate cats into our neighborhoods. But sensational news tends to be more commonly spread and more people read bad news than good news, right? And this is something that we found out in the hidden good way, way back when. So I guess that's a big reason why Yishun has this bad reputation. There's also an expectation that a public housing estate in the heartland, right, right away from everything else, should be insulated from problems that beset more worldly areas. Professor Liu basically said, for example, Geelong is not associated with being a family-friendly place like the HDB heartland. So anything that happens there, you're like, yeah, I guess that's Geelong. But Yishun, people sit up and take notice because it's they're basically saying, Okay, like you guys are, are just a bunch of people living together. What's going on, right? Like what's going on? Yeah, because it, because it's residential, it has like a whole different connotation to it, right? Yeah, and and they basically authorize it, right? They say, oh my god, these weirdos in this place—that's not Up my in belief. The north. And they reaffirm their own geographical biases, right? And then they say, oh, anyone who lives in Yishun must be a weirdo. Uh, but that's not true. Yishun's demographics are actually similar to those of other housing estates. They have similar social problems. It's just a regular part of Singapore. <laughs> they have good stories and bad stories, but I guess we pick on some of the more prolific bad stories. And I think it's great that, you know, we are dissecting a little bit of these stories and kind of showing that it's not all all that nuts up in Yishun. Like there are, there are a lot of like interesting developments and we're going to talk about some of them uh, as well. Recently in the news, we talked about like urban redevelopment and Yishun residents can actually look forward to a new integrated development at Chongpang City that will have swimming pools, a gym, fitness studios, as well as an upgraded hawker center and community club. Uh, I akin this to like what we see um, throughout like other estates, but don't, you know, they kind of built like Badok Heart. All these new hubs that intend to give all the facilities that you would you think a modern estate might look like. Uh, be it healthcare services, be it sports services, just community building elements. The construction of this 0.9 hectare development is slated to be completed not too far away. It's only 2027. The multi-story development, which will be tentatively named Chill at Chongpang, which <laughs> I think is a great name, by the way, guys. So we have Heartbeat at Badok and Chill at Chongpang. At Chongpang, yeah. It will be located at the site of Chongpang Community 
Club in Yishun Ring Road and Block 102 Yishun Avenue 5, a uh, commercial housing block, right? I uh, will also have space for commercial shops, uh, hawkers and storeholders from the existing Chongpang Market and Food Center. Uh, you know, that one was built in like 1984 and upgraded in 2003 will be able to relocate to this new integrated development when it is ready. So what will happen to the existing hawker center? Well, uh, of course, it's going to be vacated and will be redeveloped into community plaza by 2028. So uh, a nice nice open space for people to have like, you know, I guess once again, chill. But, you know, to have community activities, hopefully by then when the pandemic is over, uh, I expect to see line dancing there, guys. Line dancing (laughs) in mass numbers. So it's a very cool... I guess, reinvigoration of a community, right? Because it's had a long history from the time of uh, Nisun. I guess it, it had a history even before Nisun because of the, the Orang Selita. But, you know, Nisun really brought a new breath of life with the plantations and a lot of economic investment. And then now we have this rejuvenation from the government. Uh, Home Affairs and Law Minister K. Shan Mogamu is an MP for Nisun GRC, said the new development will be a more efficient use of land space that can cater to the needs of residents in Yishun and the northern region of Singapore. <laughs> it is also an opportunity to rejuvenate Changpang Community Club, which was built in 1988. The authorities say they will roll out more interesting programs for residents at the development, including joint agency programs to promote active lifestyles and enhance interaction among residents. I went to actually look at what other food Yishun and uh, the North area basically has. And there's a, there's a couple of cool places. You know, you have some laksas there, some chicken rices there. Uh, none that are like crazy famous, but, you know, they're regional, I guess, North, Northish regional, <laughs> famous in their own right. And then, of course, you have like spring leaf prata, which we talked about in our prata episode, right? So I guess that's a heavyweight that's up there as well. But yeah, Yishun has this interesting local flavor, interesting kind of local dynamic. And it's unfortunately become the brunt of, I guess, some of the the jokes that we make about weird stories in Singapore or weird things that happen in Singapore. The fact is that weird stories happen all across the island, but Asian has unfortunately become the blame child. <laughs> I, I think I had a lot of fun just like reading up on Yishun not just you know from its humble beginnings as being like a plantation uh, a place where it's mostly like farm settlement but what it is today has become so much more right uh, not just as a residential place uh, but in terms of the stories it's generated I, I, I actually appreciate the fact that we have uh, from estate to estate uh, stories that kind of like encircle uh, this, this one particular region in Singapore uh, would we be we be remiss to say that you know if Ishun wasn't there, we might not have these great stories. We might have this iconic place. In fact, uh, I during my research and I didn't really mention it here, uh, but we've had some famous YouTubers, uh, as in like international YouTubers, come down to film Yishun because they they called it like the scariest place in Singapore. So there's this like urban myth that's perpetuating and who knows, it could be a tourist destination someday. You could culturally use it like it's our own Jack the Ripper type of scenarios. Like let's go on a walking tour around Yishun. We can kind of like take it in jet, hold our own, have a good laugh at ourselves, uh, perpetuate some urban myths, just have a good time celebrating an estate that has been here since the dawn of Singapore. 
Yeah, we're just waiting for the right entrepreneur to, to do that. <laughs> well, this was a fun episode, Elliot. I definitely learned a lot more than I thought I would about the, the north of Singapore, uh, specifically the Yishun area. And maybe, who knows, right? Maybe the next time I go for my reserves in the Nisun area, I'll spend some time exploring. <laughs> and, and maybe chill at Chongfang will be ready in a couple of years and I can go chill at, at, at Chongfang. At Chongfang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, on that note, you know, we have a lot more episodes ahead of us. Do let us know if we've missed anything in this episode or any future topics you want us to talk about. But... We will see you on all our socials. 